Healthcare Real Estate Advisor Podcast. I'm Andrew Dick, an attorney at Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Today, we will be speaking with Brandon Edge III, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Flagship Healthcare Properties, LLC. Flagship is a privately held real estate company that owns, manages, and develops healthcare facilities. We're going to talk about Brandon's background, the evolution of the company, and uh, trends in the industry. Brandon, thanks for joining me today. Andrew, thanks for inviting me and uh, pleasure to be with you. Terrific. Well, Brandon, before we talk about your, your role as uh, the Chief Executive Officer at Flagship, let's talk about your background. Tell us where you're from, where you went to college, and uh, what you wanted to be. Sure. Uh, so before moving to North Carolina, I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. Um, lived there uh, uh, my whole childhood. Uh, went to James Madison University for undergrad up in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And after graduation, initially started out in banking. So I described myself as a recovering banker. I had gone to Charlotte for a conference middle of, of uh, my time at JMU, the first time I'd visited Charlotte, and was so impressed with uh, the city. It was a, it was a clean city, a, a growing city, um, a business-friendly city. And so as I approached graduation, um, really all of my efforts were focused on how do I find a job in Charlotte? And uh, which is a little unusual, Richmond as a way of bringing um, its, its natives back to Richmond, um, but I wanted to do something a little different. And, I, and frankly, I really didn't care what industry it was. I wanted to find some training program um, that would teach me how to do something. And I found that uh, in BB&T and, uh, and joined their training program right out of school. And it was actually located in Winston-Salem, which is about 80 miles from Charlotte. And I thought, all right, that's close enough. I can, uh, I can do a pit stop in, in Winston-Salem. And then, uh, and then find my way uh, to Charlotte, which is which is what I did. And it was a great pit stop because I met my now wife in Winston and uh, and had a a great experience uh, with the bank. But after about six years of working with the bank, um, uh, where I learned a bunch about credit and uh, operating companies and service companies and manufacturing companies and real estate companies. I realized that I didn't want to be a banker for the rest of my days. And, and a number of my clients that were in the real estate side appeared to be having a lot more fun than I was having in the banking world. So I used that uh, opportunity to go back to business school and spent two years in, uh, in Chapel Hill, also known as Blue Heaven. And, uh, and then during that time is, is when I uh, found the, the, the founder of, of Flagship and joined uh, forces with uh, with Charles Campbell in, in uh, uh, 2006. So that's when I made the, the shift from the banking world to the healthcare real estate world. So so talk about that opportunity and how you met Charles and, and how did you all decide to come together and uh, start your business? Sure, sure. So this uh, you know, business schools, I guess, like, like many universities and, and graduate programs are focused on getting you a job that that is kind of from day one and so there i was in the fall of 2005 and uh, newly married newly uh, resigned from my full-time employment and and uh, very much in debt uh, with student loans and um, i knew where i had come from in terms of being with a, a public company um, a big company in the form of the bank um, 
and I wanted to do in an old company that the bank had been around for 150 years. I wanted to do something the exact opposite. I wanted to find a, a young company that was growing, that was entrepreneurial, that was in the, the real estate um, and private equity space. Um, and so literally searching uh, online for opportunities, I came across uh, a press release from, uh, from the early flagship, flagship 1.0, which had just launched earlier that year in, in 2005. And so I reached out cold call uh, to, to Charles and said, you don't know me and you don't know um, that you need to have an intern next summer, but, um, but, but I'm willing to, to do whatever it is. Um, and so I did. I, I worked as an intern um, that, that summer between first and second year of business school. And I think I was employee number five or six or something like that uh, at the time. And, uh, and then continued working with, with, uh, with Charles my second year and then joined full time after, after graduation. And so um, that's how it, it got started. We were um, initially uh, you know, again, a very small company um, working with uh, family offices and high net worth individual investors to find real estate opportunities and in pretty short order focused exclusively on healthcare, which um, is how is how we, you know, the firm and I got got our start in, uh, in the healthcare business. So, Brandon, when we've spoken before, you talked about the company evolving and, and the what I'll call a merger of bracket and flagship. Talk a little bit about that and how the business really started to grow. Sure. So uh, you're exactly right, Andrew. That that, that was the the seminal moment for our company, um, which occurred in 2010. And up until that point, uh, the legacy flagship was really an investment firm um, in in the real estate world. Um, and in uh, 2008, 2009, we purchased a building uh, from uh, the Bracket Company, which was another firm focused on the healthcare real estate space, uh, also located in Charlotte, uh, whose roots dated back to, to the mid-1980s. And we bought a medical office building uh, for our investors uh, from the Bracket Company. But Flagship at the time didn't have property management skills. It didn't have leasing and brokerage skills. Um, it, we didn't have those resources internally. And we were really, really impressed with the platform and the people that uh, uh, that the Bracket Company uh, employed. And so, on um, the kind of heels of the great financial crisis, we approached uh, the Bracket Company and said, "Look, we we can probably be a better firm if we're together as opposed to to separate." And um, and and they saw things the same way. So we. Uh, brought those two companies together initially as a joint venture, and then, as I described, the the, the slowest, longest merger in small business history. Um, we integrated those two companies over the, the next four or five years, um, and at that time, I was uh, really uh, uh, kind of the I, I was not the, the the CEO of the bracket company, and I was not the CEO of of Legacy Flagship, and so I was tapped as as really the uh, the neutral party to integrate those two companies together and, and, uh, and so moved from my prior role to, uh, to become president of what at the time was Bracket Flagship Properties. Um, and then uh, subsequently, we, we changed the name to Flagship Healthcare Properties. Um, but that, that moment in 2010 uh, really uh, laid the groundwork for where we are today, uh, which was the decision to be a vertically integrated full service healthcare real estate firm. That, that we made that decision that how we were going to compete in the industry 
how we were going to be able to serve our clients, uh, whether they were tenants, healthcare providers, or investors, was going to be by providing the services that we do today. So property management, maintenance and engineering, asset management, ground up development, acquisitions, investments, um, the full service accounting, um, all of those services we have under, uh, you know, under one roof now. Um, so that we are in our buildings every day, building relationships with our tenants and the healthcare providers that we serve. Um, we didn't want to be in a situation where investors were calling us and saying, well, how's my investment performing? And we'd have to say, well, let me, let me go check with the people that are taking care of your building and, and we'll, get, we'll get right back to you. We are the people taking care of your buildings. Um, and so that, that today uh, is the, the single biggest differentiator, I think, that Flagship uh, uh, has. Um, versus some of the other folks in the industry. We, we allocate capital and it's a critical uh, role for us, um, but it's only one facet of what we do. So that was a, a terrific summary. So Brandon, talk about the company today. So, so fast forward today, talk about the size of the company in terms of employees, where your, your properties are located, where you're, where you're doing business. Give us a snapshot of, of what everything looks like today. Sure, sure. So um, the, the company, uh, as, as we've grown over the past 11 years um, and morphed uh, into that full service uh, provider, our mission, our, our whole purpose for being uh, is to provide uh, extraordinary stewardship and outcomes uh, for all um, we gratefully serve in healthcare real estate. So that's a, that's a mouthful, but what does that mean? So um, we've really got three primary constituents and all of them are extremely important and none of them can get uh, the short end of the stick. So we, um, we view our investors, our tenants and our employees as being critical to, uh, to success. And if we um, uh, let one of those groups down or put one of those groups well ahead of, of the others, there's going to be problems. And so we work really hard to try to make, uh, uh, make our company a culture that attracts and retains really good people. And, and uh, we've got, I think, the best in the business. We've uh, got 86 employees now. Um, uh, and those are, again, across the spectrum of um, asset management and property management and leasing and brokerage and uh, on the investment side and the ground up development side and the accounting side. Um, and that's what allows us to deliver excellent service to our tenants. And if we do that, we do that job and we can help meet their needs. Um, they're more likely to turn to us for their real estate needs. And if we can deliver on the tenant side, um, that allows us to generate um, uh, attractive returns to our investors. And the investors provide the capital that, that lets us continue to grow and, uh, and attract and retain employees. So that kind of uh, virtuous circle is, is what keeps us going. We are focused geographically on the Southeast and Southern Mid-Atlantic. So we own properties uh, across 10 states right now. Um, but, and that's where we deploy our, our capital or our investors capital is in that, that, uh, that Southeast footprint. Um, but you know, when I look at the areas where we have uh, services, you know, we manage a building in Nebraska, not exactly in the Southeast, but that's where one of our clients went. And they asked us if we would uh, help them with buildings that are outside of our footprint. And of course, we will follow our clients just about anywhere. Um, but our focus is on growing uh, our business and brand and services in the Southeast and Southern Mid-Atlantic. Um, the other thing you, you asked about was the types of properties that we've got. 
Um, we are um, uh, laser focused on the clinical outpatient healthcare sector. And so what does that mean? Well, one way to, to describe uh, the properties that we, we seek to work on or build or lease or manage and maintain are those buildings where uh, a patient enters the building uh, to receive care from a healthcare provider and they leave uh, without spending the night. So we are not invested in senior housing facilities or inpatient rehab uh, hospitals or uh, skilled nursing um, or acute care hospitals. That not, not that there's anything wrong with those businesses, but they're very different from what we uh, are good at and know. And so I like to say we, we love having uh, senior housing uh, as neighbors. We just uh, aren't looking to have them as tenants. Uh, we share the same you know, patient population and same demographics, um, but we're focused on, on the outpatient sector. So that's predominantly medical office buildings and ambulatory surgery centers. Got it. And um, so let's, let's transition a little bit, Brandon, and talk about uh, flagships REIT, because I think that is one uh, service line that you offer that's a little bit different than some of your competitors. There are lots of publicly traded REITs, uh, a lot of investment funds that focus on healthcare assets, but flagship has its own private REIT. Let's talk a little bit about that and the evolution of that business, um, which is pretty interesting based on what we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Andrew. It, 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 um, uh, I'll describe our process of uh, our journey of getting to um, the, the private REIT structure and flagship healthcare trust. Um, it was a journey, and, and we had some iterations along the way. Um, before 2010, we were doing all of our investments um, one-off. We would do silo investments. We would have capital from a family or a group of, of high net worth individual investors, and we'd uh, go and, and purchase or develop an asset, and we managed each of those uh, investments separately. They were all separately capitalized. And, and it worked. It worked well, and investors were, were happy, and uh, the projects you know, were, were, were profitable and, and turned out well. But we didn't have any sort of synergy doing that. We, we, uh, I like to say we weren't managing a portfolio of, say, 30 buildings. We were managing one building 30 different times. Um, so everything had separate accounts and separate reserves and separate leasing teams and separate agreements. Um, and so we weren't being efficient as a manager and our investors weren't really getting the diversification because an investor might be in number, you know, building number one, but not in buildings two through 30. And so uh, there really wasn't that, that diversification. So the next iteration for us uh, uh, happened in 2012 when we, uh, when we launched our first closed in fund. And we raised money from uh, accredited investors and from institutional investors. And we did our first fund and we did um, a, a second, uh, uh, was a venture with USAA real estate company, but it operated much like a, a closed in fund and started raising our third fund. Um, and at that time we, we took a step back and this was 2016, 2017 and said, what are we doing? Um, you know, our investors were, were asking us um, you know, it was coming time to, to look at selling our first fund, uh, liquidating that. And our investors almost in unison said, please, please don't do that. We like the buildings that, that we're invested in. Um, we don't want you to create a, a, a tax issue or a reinvestment issue um, by selling these funds. And, um, and we said, well, geez, we're, 
we don't really want to sell them either. We're, we're in the business to be long-term owners in real estate. And how does, you know, if our, if our business model is to attract and retain the best and brightest in the healthcare real estate industry, how does that align with selling a big portfolio of properties every few years? And meanwhile, our tenants, the healthcare providers and healthcare systems, um, they really care about long-term ownership. You know, they don't want the owners of their property um, to, to be um, short-term holders, that um, they want to know that you've got empathy for what they're doing, that you are going to be taking care, of, taking care of these assets as if you're going to own them forever. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, it, it didn't really line up with a, a shorter-term um, investment fund uh, type structure. And, um, and so we engaged uh, advisors to help us figure out how could we be structured that would create better alignment between our investors and our tenants and our employees. Um, and the private REIT structure is what, uh, what rose to the top. And admittedly, when we were talking about the private REIT structure, we didn't understand what, mm -hmm. what that meant. And you know, familiar with public traded REITs, um, and there are some, some excellent ones out there. Um, but we didn't really want to be public. Um, and so, but we'd heard about public non-traded REITs and, and those had not a, not a great reputation at the time. It's, it's gotten better since then. Um, but uh, we said, I don't, I don't know that we want to go down this private REIT path. And it was explained to us that said, look, it, it is, the structure is a private REIT um, is a tax structure. Um, REITs avoid double taxation as long as you're distributing 90% of your taxable income to investors. Um, and it looks and feels just like an open-ended fund, but it preserves um, a great deal of optionality. Um, and meanwhile, being private, we think uh, avoids a lot of the correlation um, uh, with the public markets. And so uh, we get asked a lot by investors or prospective investors, you know, why, why should I buy a private REIT as opposed to a public REIT? And, and my response is always, it's not an either or. There, there are some excellent public REITs out there and many that we are fortunate to, uh, to, to work for on the management and leasing side. What we think we bring to the table um, is because we are private, we're not correlated with the public markets. And so for investors who wanna have an allocation to healthcare real estate, um, we think we, we provide that and maybe provide a, a better representation of the value of our healthcare real estate assets, as opposed to whatever's happening from day to day in the stock market. So um, it, it is, it is uh, almost like uh, uh, putting on a, a tailored suit or a tailored sport coat. Uh, when we got to the, the launch of Flagship Healthcare Trust four years ago, it felt like we were putting on a sport coat that had been tailored. It just fit. Um, and our investors uh, uh, feel the same way. Um, and so we've continued to grow and attract new capital, um, but just as importantly, attract additional capital from our existing investors who, uh, who continue to believe in what we're doing. It's a great story. And I, I can appreciate why you selected the, the private REIT structure. You're right. It's not subject to the whims of the market. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so talk about the REIT number of properties, how much equity you, you currently have, things like that, that, that sure, you're able sure. to share. Absolutely. So um, we, we are structured as a Reg D private placement. Um, and all that means is that we, uh, uh, our investor base are, um, are considered accredited investors. Uh, we have about 350 shareholders. Um, a number of, of those shareholders have been with us 
for many, many years, even predating the, the REIT's launch, uh, when we uh, converted our legacy closed-in funds, um, all of those investors in the legacy closed-in funds had the option to either cash out of those funds and, and take their money and go elsewhere or contribute their interests into launching the REIT. Um, and we had 94% of our investors by capital say, this is exactly the structure that I want. And so when they joined us in the launch of the REIT uh, back in, in late 2017, we were about $55 million of equity. Um, since then, we've grown uh, to, to where we are today, which is uh, uh, right at $250 million of equity and about $600 million of gross property value. Um, that's uh, about 2 million square feet uh, in the REIT. Uh, across 73 properties and uh, in 10 states in the Southeast and Southern Mid-Atlantic. Um, and that's in addition to the uh, about an equal number of properties and, and approximately 3 million square feet of properties that we manage for third-party owners. And those are institutional investors, those are public REITs, um, and those are private individuals or, or healthcare uh, practices that want to own their own real estate and but don't want to have the, the headaches of property management or leasing um, and, and so we gladly do those services for others as well as for our for our own account. Terrific. And and I'm assuming that the REIT follows your your investment philosophy that it's primarily MOBs, outpatient healthcare facilities, ASCs. Exactly right. It, it's ASCs and MOBs um, are the the predominant assets. Um, we uh, we have a blend of of uh, multi tenant buildings and single tenant buildings. Uh, a number of uh, of practices who make the decision in this current environment to uh, um, uh, to lock in a, a, a attractive pricing on their buildings, but they don't have any desire to move. Um, we're doing a number of, of sale leaseback transactions with um, with practices, both um, groups that are independent um, as well as groups that are affiliated with healthcare systems. Um, and an interesting. Uh, kind of unexpected benefit of our REIT structure is that uh, the vast majority of those sale leaseback transactions, the selling groups, if they're groups of physicians or, or investors, are electing to upreit a portion of their sale um, uh, into flagship. And so essentially, a seller of a, of, of a, a medical office building who's, who chooses to work with flagship, um, they can receive cash uh, when they sell us a building. Uh, or they can receive um, operating partnership units in our REIT. And essentially, uh, it's tax deferred um, in, in most instances, um, and it provides diversification for, for those sellers. So an investor who owned 100% of one building can up REIT, and all of a sudden they've got uh, that same value spread across a much more diversified portfolio of, of more than 70 assets. Uh, meanwhile, they're locking in their... Uh, you know, their current valuation on their building um, and able to, to decide on their timeline when to recognize um, that taxable gain kind of on their own terms. So it's been a um, it's been something that we didn't expect would be as, as popular as it has been, but it's been a, a major source of our growth as we continue to, to grow our, our footprint. Um, but but it is all clinical um, healthcare uh, outpatient um, so ASCs and, and MOBs are our primary investment targets. Got it. So let's uh, transition for a minute and talk about the healthcare real estate industry in general. Um, 
over the past five, six, seven, eight years, the the um, asset class has really come into its own and becoming more and more attractive to investors of all types. Talk about cap rate compression, trends in the industry. It seems like there's an awful lot of demand for these assets right now. How, how does a company like Flagship through its REIT compete for assets in a market that just seems very hot right now? You're exactly right. It, it is uh, it is overwhelming the amount of capital that is chasing the healthcare um, real estate industry right now. Um, it's coming from traditional uh, real estate investors who hadn't previously been exposed to, to the healthcare sector. It's coming from international investors, both individual and sovereign wealth funds. Um, everybody, it seems, wants to, to get into healthcare real estate. Um, so the, the secret is out. Now, when we started in this business um, 20, you know, plus or minus 20 years ago, healthcare real estate was really not its own asset class. It was kind of lumped into other asset classes. Was it part of the office uh, market or was it part of the retail market or, or did they just lump it to, uh, you know, as, as other? Um, now it's, it's a clearly defined um, asset class um, and it's, it's clearly defined for good reason. Um, through the, the great financial crisis, um, uh, our portfolio and, and that of most healthcare real estate uh, performed really, really well. And of course, values were impacted across all sectors in the great financial crisis. Um, but we really didn't see tenants that were handing in, uh, handing over the keys and, and, and shutting their doors. It was a very resilient asset class. We had bankers that would come and, and visit with us you know, back um, uh, during the, the Great Recession and saying, look, the credit folks say I can't lend to anything unless it's government backed or it's healthcare related or student housing. So what do you have for me? When you fast forward the movie through the pandemic um, that we're going through now with COVID, the portfolio did extremely well. Our, our tenants um, were extremely resilient. And I described the industry as, as uh, it, it's now more akin to a consumer staple than it is to something that is, that is um, uh, voluntary. Americans want and demand and deserve healthcare um, and a pandemic's not gonna get in the way of, of receiving care. And so um, it was really impressive to see how uh, these healthcare providers kind of adapted to uh, the, the global pandemic, whether it was uh, changing the way they were, were uh, uh, having patients wait for care or uh, alternating, you know, how they were, uh, how they were seeing patients. Um, but what didn't happen was, was stopping seeing patients. You know, telemedicine was, had a, had a big boon and, and, and folks wondered, is this going to replace the need for medical office buildings? Um, and the answer was a resounding no. Um, it became an additional avenue uh, for providing care to patients. Um, and, but, but it was, it was an additional uh, outlet. It wasn't a replacement. And so we saw a surge in, in telemedicine, but not one that, that overtook or replaced um, inpatient face-to-face uh, uh, -face visits. Um, it's interesting. We, we uh, are really agnostic at, at flagship of whether we're buying uh, on-campus buildings or off-campus buildings. And we're seeing really a proliferation of, of off-campus buildings as healthcare providers recognize the, the three C's uh, in healthcare of, of care, convenience, and cost. Um, and it is much more convenient and able to be delivered at a, at a much lower cost uh, when you have outpatient settings. And so 
think last year there were 60 plus million surgeries that were done in the U.S. and over 60% of them were done um, in, a, in, a, in an outpatient surgery center environment. So, you know, what 20 years ago you would you would be going to the hospital campus and and uh, and having your knee procedure or your wrist procedure uh, done uh, inpatient or, and on the campus today it's it's generally not happening that way. Um, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid are increasingly approving and even requiring some of these procedures to be done um, in an outpatient setting, um, which is which is really good for both the providers and for the, the patient. So that's gonna to continue to grow and, and that's why we're laser focused on um, that outpatient setting. Yep, and I would add, you know, through the pandemic, we saw that patients were hesitant to, to go to a hospital campus for fear of, of picking, picking up the virus or contracting the virus. And so those outpatient facilities that are off campus seem even more attractive during difficult periods like we're living through now. You're exactly right. That, that hospital-acquired infection um, has always been present, but in in uh, in the age of of COVID and the pandemic, um, it got even much you know, much more uh, uh, much greater scrutiny. So, um, I don't think there's any going back um, from this shift. So, so Brandon, we're we're uh, near the end of our interview. Let's talk a little bit about advice for young professionals. Uh, we, we've got a lot of uh, folks who listen that are starting out in the the healthcare real estate profession. What advice would you have someone who's who's getting started in the business? Gosh, um, that's a that's a great question. Um, I guess I would I would say try to figure out what you like and work toward achieving that. And uh, oh, by the way, that's a lifelong uh, learning. So what you like to do at twenty one and are working towards then may be different than when you're thirty one or forty one or fifty one. Um, so continue to, to try to uh, figure out what it is that uh, uh, that makes you tick and, and gets you excited to go to work in the morning. Um, I'd say um, do every job to the best of your ability, um, even if it's not exactly where you want to be, um, and maybe especially if it's not where you want to be. Um, if you can focus on kind of knocking the ball out of the park, um, opportunities will find you. So, um, you know, do everything that you can to, to, to the best of your ability. Um, ask questions. That's something that uh, that natural curiosity, I think, is is a benefit for everybody. Um, it's okay to not have the answers and, and shouldn't be afraid to, to ask for help or ask questions to learn more. Um, and finally, don't don't be afraid to fail. Um, a little bit better to fail quickly if you can, but um, you are going to make mistakes. Um, and it's it's fun to, to find an environment where you can be supported when you make those mistakes and learn from those mistakes and move on. But um, healthcare real estate industry is, is, has got great tailwinds. Um, we've got demographic, uh, demographics that are uh, providing a, a, a huge lift to the industry. Um, and so for young folks that are looking at careers in various sectors, I think this has got um, a great next few decades in front of us. Well, that's good advice. So uh, as we wrap up, uh, where can our audience learn more about you and flagship healthcare properties? Sure. Uh, uh, please, we'd welcome uh, visitors to our website at flagshiphp.com um, or our, our sister website for the read at flagshipreit.com. Um, we've got an active social media presence. So follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, if you have questions or we can provide any, uh, uh, any support, 
uh, feel free to reach out to us. Call us, email us, text us. Terrific. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, thanks to our audience for listening on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor to be added to the list. Please email me at adick at allrender.com.